do you want to give me an A? Yeah, but you're not allowed to put it in the show. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because our last one was flat. That's true, you, but I didn't put that one in the show, I don't think. Oh, no, you did. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can give the A and then I'll join the A. Okay, ready? One, two, three. A. A. <laughs> okay, did that calm you down? Yeah, I actually do find the A is pretty calming. It's very calming. But I know. also, <clears throat> do we have a pitch pipe? Do we know if this is an A? We don't know. No, we don't know. Unclear. <laughs> it's just us saying A. <laughs> 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 so it is, it, it is an A of sorts. It is an A, yeah. Hello, and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the only literary podcast to pit Elizabeth Gaskell against herself. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Gaskell. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Gaskell. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. (laughs) So we are coming at you with another North and South recap episode, guys. And it was an action packed uh, set of chapters. I'm I'm so flat. Strap in, guys. (laughs) My my chapter nights this week. (laughs) I'm mad. They're intense. So much happens. I'm like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then they go here, and then this dude, and then this happens, and then this person thinks that this person's doing this thing, but they're doing this thing, but actually they're doing this thing, and then this person hears them, so then they go over here, and then they do it again. Oh, my God. It's madness. (laughs) Actually, I think that bit of audio just sums up the book. Yeah, it pretty much does. (laughs) So, um... Because we're going to have such an intense North and South uh, discussion this week, we are um, going to skip Lily Facts this week. It's so upsetting. I know you're all probably crying. Hannah certainly is. I think it's clapped. So it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, don't. So please cut that out. <laughs> I might not. Uh, I you might know, not. you just say something and you're like, why? Do I always open my mouth like the filter is not there? Good Lord. Good Lord. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to, you know, skip over some Lily facts this week, partially because we are about to um, go to Gaskell House next week. And um, I just received an email today from the volunteer coordinator at Gaskell House. And she was talking about, you know, who will be on duty and who we're going to be interviewing and um, I'm just suddenly like overwhelmed by their knowledge of Elizabeth Gaskell. And I'm like, I don't know anything about Elizabeth Gaskell. I should just be asking these people next week about her. Yeah. So more on her life later. Um, but yeah, let's let's dive into these chapters. Oh, and also, can I just make a note real quick? Um, Zencaster, the, what we use to record, has like not been working for us for the past few weeks. I have, like, not been able to hear Hannah. Yeah. But this week, we are using a new system, and I can hear you perfectly. It's, like, such a joy. Is it? Is it? It is. I I actually feel like you've not been missing out. No, I have. (laughs) 
that's what I'm like going back and like editing the episodes. I'm like, oh, that's what she said. <laughs> like laughing later in the editing. Uh, it's just always but... me saying, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> I haven't read a book. <laughs> but um, yeah, this week we've got new a whole new setup. So you might notice a little bit of change in our audio. And I am not in the podcast hut. I'm in my office, actually. So um, you might hear my squeaky office chair every once in a while. Sorry, guys. My podcast hut is literally my bed. So yeah, <laughs> and it's just laying in bed. I'm in bed recording. That's I'm a pro, a professional podcaster. So now let's get into chapter 33. And it is entitled Peace. Peace. Is it peace to, is it peace to your mother? It should have been peace to your mother. Should it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's let's call it that. So um I actually posted some links in the Facebook page this week about Victorian like funeral facts. Yeah. Which um are kind of fascinating. I think you guys should go and check some of those out. Um one was an article that was about like regency attitudes towards funerals. Um I can't remember what year North and South is set in, but I feel like this is early Victorian era, correct? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like um Mr. Hale's attitude towards Margaret, you know, wanting to go to her mother's funeral is a little bit more old school. Yeah. Might yeah, say cuz he's so, you know, it's the day before the funeral. We find out that Mr. Bell, um, who we've not yet met him. No, he's been mentioned he, a couple of times. but He's been mentioned. He's just this shadowy figure. He's the one that um, um, kind of helped them move to Milton. So he he put Mr. Hale in touch with Mr. Thornton and was like, I've got some properties up there. Like, Milton's fine. It's where I'm from. Like, you should go there. Yeah. So, sadly, he can't make it up to uh, Milton because he's got the gout. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Hale doesn't want to go along because he's a total emotional wreck, of course. And he's planning on asking Mr. Thornton to go. But Margaret is like, listen, I, I want to go to my mother's funeral. Which is fair. And like, yeah, it's fair. But also partly because she kind of just doesn't want Mr. Thornton to be there. Yeah, that's partially why. She's like, <laughs> well, she's a little offended. Like, how dare you want to go with Mr. Thornton? Like, I'm your daughter. I'm yeah. here. I miss her too. I'm grieving. I want to go. And, you know, Mr. Hale's like, this is not usual for a woman of your station. Like, women can't control their feelings. That's why they don't go to funerals. Like, this is not done. But, you know, Margaret is a queen of controlling her emotions. Yes. And she's like, listen, I'm going to be fine. Like, we're going to go. It's going to be great. (laughs) Yeah. And it is funny, that class divide with the funerals and how, you know, the poor will go and the poor will demonstrate grief. But, like, the middle classes and upwards won't. Yeah, one of the interesting things that was um, in one of the articles that I posted was that it really wasn't safe for women of a certain class to go. And that was mostly because of um, people, cert- like, like I guess, like, almost like professional mourners were hired yeah. for funerals. And that was like, so that these professional mourners could actually go and express their grief in a more like outward way so that like the family could kind of look stoic by comparison. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of these guys were kind of seedy characters okay. and not and they just didn't think like you know women would be safe around them also let's look at the brontes because they all bloody died from going to a funeral so. 
Well, it's know, really, yeah, it's not hygienic. It's not exactly hygienic either. Yeah. In certain parts of the, the and you country. Get the, yeah, you absolutely. Get the damps. You don't want to get the damps. Yeah. No, you're you right. Do, yeah. So Maybe it's, I should stay home. it's not entirely safe, but, um, you know, she goes and, um, oh, the next day she also receives a letter from her brother, Fred, who is stuck in London. Yeah. He's waiting around for good old Henry Lennox. This sort of like amps up all of her anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh my God, is Henry going to be found out? We've yeah, got because this obviously, to go to. Dad's no one knows what's going on either. Like, she's just, she hasn't told anyone about the fool or about the issues at the train station. <laughs> right. She's just like <laughs> keeping all of this inside. Um, that day, Thornton does something that I think is very thoughtful and he sends a carriage. But Margaret does not think it is very thoughtful. Mr. Thorns is a sweetie. I think he's a total sweetie. I mean, she's like infuriated. She's like, see, he never wanted to come to the funeral anyway. Look at this. He just sent a carriage. Just ugh. she can't she can't handle it. Right. But then on the way over, she kind of like gets over it. And she is comforting her dad because, again, her dad's a mess. And he just can't handle this. Um, The male hails can't handle. That's <laughs> can't handle anything um at the funeral bates or higgins turns up with mary and um of course thornton is also there yeah. come on Hiding. and thornton would love nothing more than for margaret to just like throw herself in his arms just in full grief mode you know yeah but he is still just like haunted by this image of that handsome young man at the train station. Who is he? Who is this guy? Um, So Thornton doesn't approach the family, but he does talk to Dixon. Yeah. And um, he's kind of like inquiring as to their state. And, you know, he's really disappointed to hear that everything's like moving along without him just fine. Um, Dixon does not tell Margaret that Thornton was there. I'm just like, I was sitting there like, like screaming at the book, like Dixon, come on. Yeah, it's just Come one on. of those things, though, isn't it? It's like someone doesn't mention something or someone doesn't know something and then people's attitudes change and there you go. She was like running her mouth at Leonard's, but... Yeah, she's like, oh, I met this guy. I shouldn't have said hey. I said hey. Now I'm going to tell you about it. But with Thornton, yeah. it's just like didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen at all. <laughs> like, all right, fine. So chapter 34, false and true the murder police are here. Like, that's all I just have written in my book is <laughs> the murder police are here. Uh, so, uh, Margaret is like a... The murder police is just this, like, very nice-seeming young police <laughs> officer. So that's really funny because yes. in our notes you've written it in, like, all caps as well. And yeah. it's like, I could just imagine someone screaming, the murder police are here, the murder police are here. And he's just on the door, like, um, hello, hi, here to investigate the murder. <laughs> Isn't his name Watson, too? Oh, yeah, it could be. I think it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, like, Elizabeth Gaskell does have some problems with some names. Like, she will repeat names, and she also forgets names, and also... <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, it's fine. I do the same thing, but, you know. Anyway, so I think his name is Watson, but we can also just call him Murder Police. Yeah, Murder Police. So uh, Margaret is fretting about Fred and she hasn't heard from him in three days. She's like, is he still in London? I'm just an anxious mess. And, um, you know, Watson, the murder police comes to the door and 
is like, hey, hey, got a few questions. And Margaret is informed that Leonard's is now dead because of a fall he took at the at the uh, train station. Like, he, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, when his body disappears, I was just like, maybe someone has stolen his body. Like, that's more <laughs> interesting to me. <laughs> that is fine. Um, Carry on. <laughs> and, you know, Watson has heard that Margaret was at the station with a mysterious man. Yeah. And, and the same man who, who struck Leonard's. Yes. And uh, she is just, you know, she's stoic. She's stone-faced. Yeah. And, and it, she it, lies to the murder police. His description of, like, all of the things that... The description of all of the stuff that he doesn't notice sounded like an episode of CSI. It's like... He didn't, yeah. he didn't notice that her eyelids, like, her eyes dilated or that she, like, glanced to the left or whatever. Like, and then it starts listing all of the stuff that she doesn't do. And I was just like, this is CSI Milton edition. <laughs> yes. Well, he's also just like, he's not, um, he's very anxious talking to a woman of her class, too, yeah. or of her stature and just like. Well, she's his superior. She is, and you know he's really embarrassed that he even has to like ask her this question. But yeah, he is. You know he's conducting a murder investigation. So um, listen, I watch a lot of murder shows, as we all know. Inspector Morris is my favorite show of all time, besides Columbo and Doctor Who. And <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor Who's in the top five, but murder shows definitely are above Doctor Who. And um, I just the one thing you do not do is lie to the murder police, guys. Don't, Don't do, do it. it. Don't do it. I just was like, oh, no, Margaret, no. Um, but she, yeah, she definitely lies. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Wasn't there. Wasn't me. She's very calm and cool about it. And he's like, well, she is so, like, collected and calm about this. Like, it, she she has to be telling the truth. And he leaves. So he leaves. And then Margaret collapses. She locks the door. Then she collapses. Yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> why <laughs> I, I was like oh dear she had sunk under her burden you guys she's finally had enough and um sidebar one thing that I actually really liked uh during her interrogation was that the police inspector um talked about how Leonard's like to frequent the gin palaces which I think is not the first time we've heard this in this book but it was the first time that I was like you know what I'm gonna start calling bars gin palaces I really like I really like that. Yeah. And then you're going to get your Union Jack purse out and. <laughs> I get so much crap for that Union Jack purse. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's I'm okay. excited I, to see it next week. I, 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 um, I only carry it because I get crap for it. <laughs> so chapter 35, expiation. What does that mean? Um. I don't know. <laughs> Let's look it up. Oh my god! Well, um, to to expiate is to make quicker and uh, to ex- right expedite. Yeah. Uh, oh wait. Oh wait. Oh expiation. Quicken. That's that's what I do. The thought act of making amends. Oh shit! Atonement. <laughs> I was so wrong. Should I leave that all in? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? That's not new, is it? I decided something that wasn't the case. <laughs> um, 
So um, I was kind of hoping that Thornton would come downstairs and like yeah. find Margaret at the and like know, scoop the her up like, in his arms. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then he would have just sort of an emotional internal dialogue because I just love all of his all of his feelings. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't happen. They're just like upstairs, him and Mr. Hale just chatting away. Just... I know. She just stands up and then it's like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. No one finds her. She just, she gets up and um, she's like, yeah, that was good. I would totally lie to the murder police again. Like, this, I, feel this like girl, I feel fine. Every time something happens, she's like, I'd do that again. <laughs> every time. Every time. She buckles down. Um, and she's like, hopefully, hopefully I've bought Fred some time. And, um, you know, she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good about it. Feeling good about myself. So Thornton leaves the Hales and he runs right into Watson. Yep. And who has just kind of been waiting around uh, since interrogating Margaret. And the inspector confides in Thornton because not only is Thornton a magistrate, but he's also an old friend that sort of helped Watson get this job. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy. And. He's, he seems pretty good. And Thornton finds out that Mags has lied to the murder police. And he knows, because you guys know, that he knows she was there. It's, it's haunting him. It's like replaying in his brain every 20 minutes. And, um, of course, he suspects her of rendezvousing with a secret lover. Stumble. Nevertheless, yeah, he decides he's going to save her. The woman that he once loved should be kept from shame. So he doesn't want her to go through like a public inquest. Like he doesn't want her to, you know, get arrested or, you know, be involved in any of the scandal. He's just like, I'm going to take care of it as per usual. And he's like livid. He is like furious and his feelings are hurt. Yeah. He is like losing his mind, but is still like, oh God, okay, well, she just shouldn't have to. She shouldn't have to do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not a woman like her. No. And I do like that he says a woman he once loved. Like, Thornton, do you think you're over her? Yeah, that is some denial. That is some strong denial, friend. And I've got some strong denial in my chapters too. So, So, um, you know, Thornton's like, hey, meet me back at the factory in a bit. Let me like look over this case for you. And Watson's like, oh, thanks. Thanks, governor. And uh, he didn't say that. (laughs) He did not. That's the feeling behind what he said. So um, Thornton goes back to the factory and he kind of waits a while. And does he even go to the coroner and like look it up? I don't even know. Does he just like write this note? Just as says, you know, hey, there's not enough medical evidence to pursue an inquiry well, hasn't he already he's already been to see everyone he has he already the house and before yeah um, margaret was like involved in it i don't think he goes back to see anyone yeah he just kind of was like this is don't worry about it this guy was a drunk because also he was the one who was like yeah we should investigate it so he goes and sees the body and it's like oh we should investigate it and now he's like no 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 just kidding it's all fine Listen. i didn't know margaret was involved yeah yeah <laughs> so you know watson comes back to the factory later on, gets this note and is like, great, my job is done for me. I'm so glad I don't have to, you know, take this any further. And um, then he goes back. Let's see, he goes. 
yeah, Watson goes back that like that yeah. evening and he's like, Oh, sorry it took me so long to come. Like I I had some other shit to do. Um, but all's good. We don't need to account for it. The guy on the train station, he must have been wrong. You're in the clear. Sorry to cause you any bother. You just like everything. Yeah. Yeah, everything is fine. Um also Margaret has received a note finally from Fred. Yes. And it's like, hey, I'm safe. I met with Lennox. Lennox is like, we might have a case. We might not. We need some credible witnesses. <laughs> Meh. It was pretty dangerous for you to come here. So it kind of, it's just, <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole like Fred Lennox thing was just to sort of help create tension with, you know, this other storyline. So, you know, Margaret has nothing to worry about. Um, Fred is actually fine. I think, yeah, he's back in Spain. It's been three days. All is good. She didn't actually need to really lie to the murder police. No, but... I, like everything was actually fine. <laughs> Everything's actually okay. But you know, I, it's it's all been swept under the rug now. Um, later on that night, Margaret and her father briefly talk about Fred and his fiance. And Margaret has this moment where she's just sort of like in awe that Dolores is like so close to her in age. Yeah. Which again, Margaret has this, it's, she has this disconnect between her and other women and like that are a marriageable age. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, oh, it's so weird. That's so, oh God, is it time for us to be thinking about marriage? Like, yes, Margaret. <laughs> yes. But then, you know, but then look at characters like, and this isn't, this isn't me doing like a comparison of the two, um, but like Lizzie Bennett, she's 24. That's true. And she's entirely like not. She's like, oh god, it's getting on a bit, but she's not like completely bothered by it. And I imagine when she was Magda's age, she probably, you know, like there is precedent for having women, women in these books just being totally not bothered by it. Whereas I think we are kind of led to believe that every single waking minute was like, fucking hell, I need to be married. Well, I think yeah. And we could talk about this a little bit later. I did have it in my notes to bring up, but like for me, I just I can I can feel the danger that Margaret's in. You yeah. know, like it's just like you are really you have no protection. Like you now it's just you and your dad and your yeah. brother who's exiled from the country. And um you have you already have no money. <laughs> like this is just it's a dangerous situation. And marriage is the strategy, it's like the way out. Um Yeah. And, and she's, she's not a Lucy like, Snow, is she? So she's not going to go and become no. a governess. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, she's not thinking about work and she's not thinking about marriage. Then she's like constantly surprised when women her age are getting married. Like Edith, like she even in this in this moment, she's like, oh, yeah, I guess Dolores and Edith are the same age and Edith's already married. Like it just is like it's just slowly dawning on her. Yep. And um, anyway. Um, they talk a little bit about visiting Fred in Spain and, you know, they want to meet Dolores and all that good stuff. But, um, and, you know, M- Mr. Hale's like, you should do it. Like, you should see your brother and you should go see Edith. You you know, there's no real reason for you to stay here. His, his and, reasoning um, as well is quite sweet because he says, like, I can't, I can't have dragged your mum up to Milton and then have her die here. And then the minute she's in the ground, unable to ever leave. Yeah like yeah. go and like leave her on her own like you should go i'll double down on my students and i'll just you know yeah i'll be working but you <laughs> should you know there's no reason for you to stay 
Except, you know, what's going to happen in a couple of chapters. Time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Mr>. oh. <laughs> Idiot. My oh. God. My God. Sorry. It's insane. So chapter 36 is union, not always strength. Oh, I know. This is just, God, I got some real sloggers here. I'm, excuse me. You didn't have out of tune. <laughs> that was a chapter. Like I nearly <laughs> cried trying to write that up. Oh, this is, this is true. <laughs> Although, yeah, let's so, see. Yeah, I know. 36 and 37 are heavy. So, um, 36, Margaret and her father go to visit Higgins. You know, it's depressing because Bates is not in a good way. He's out of work. And, um, you know, they Harry, talk about the strike. And it's just, oh, this is all sad. It's all bad news. They have nothing. They have nothing cheerful to talk about. Right. Like just everyone's died. Yeah. Bates is out of work. You know, it's it's no good. Um, and then as they're talking. You have six men and, and like several policemen carrying a body down the street, which and the body is like laid on a door that's like just been off its hinges. Yeah. And it's, well, you know, it's Boucher. In the Dead show. is a door now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> a purple Boucher just is laying like my on a door. bit of the adaptation. <laughs> it is? Yeah. So when I, I watched it with all of my housemates at uni and we were, we were just like Bates and Boucher, uh, obviously they aren't, it's Higgins and Boucher. We just found them really irritating <laughs> because we found, I like detest Bates and Downton Abbey, least favourite mm. character. And so this bit and we're like, oh no, he's going to, he's going to off himself. And then he goes and jumps in a purple river because of the dye. And then he's all purple when he comes out and he looks like a great <laughs> And little 21-year-old Hannah, you know, heartless, Lauren. Heartless, heartless yeah, total heart, totally heartless. But yeah, I got to this oh bit and I was like, he's purple. And it is, it's a description. <laughs> it says that he's purple from the dye. So. My goodness. Well, yeah, he's he's purple. He's laying on the door. He's dead as a doornail. Um, everyone in the street is just like watching them carry this body. And uh, of Higgins and Hale just like basically start arguing over who's going to go tell Mrs. Boucher yeah. about this. And Margaret, of course, steps in and is like, listen, I'll just do it. I got this. My God, this girl, she takes on so much. So she goes over to Mrs. Boucher's and um, she breaks the bad news to her. Yeah. And then um, after she leaves, like her and her father swing by Boucher's house just like one more time. And he's just like got the door locked and he's like, no, no, I don't want to talk to you guys. I'm done. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a depressing little chapter. And then we have chapter 37, which is looking south. And um, it's the next day and Mr. Hale and Mags go visit the widow Boucher. And there's all this like judgy attitudes <laughs> against yeah. her. Did you notice that? Like, I was just like, okay, why are we, I, I don't know. I, okay. On one hand, I am really appreciative of the way that Elizabeth Gaskell has handled what is the second suicide in this book. Right. Yep. 
Like, she's just like, you guys don't understand the state that this poor man was in. Like, there was just no other way out. He, you know, throws himself in the river. He feels trapped. Like, how, you know, like, can you think about how depressed he was, how low he was? But on the other hand, it's been like a day. And um, Margaret and Mr. Hale go over there. And they're kind of expecting this widow to be... I don't know, okay. graceful about this? Like, They're not expecting her to be graceful, but this is a woman with eight children. So, yeah. so I, I would say that the attitude here is that, that Gaskell uh, admires a rallying spirit. A yes. person who can face adversity. And like, remember my issues with Mrs. Hale at the beginning of the book? I think I like so if Mr. Hale had died before Mrs. Hale when she was still being fussy in Helston like I don't know I think I'd like there's some similarities there and I think that's where the judginess is coming from it and I I I didn't mind it so much I I think Mrs. Mrs. Hale (laughs) well I mean I think it's been a day she has eight children you know the last that like discussion between her and her husband was like you need to go out and find work and he went out and killed himself and she's like what am i going to do like that's her state is what am i going to do but she's not saying what am i going to do about my children it's what like i don't know there's like a selfishness to mrs voucher i just i guess like i feel like what am i going to do could also imply what am i going to do about these children like what is she going to do she has been placed in this like insane situation um also there are multiple stages of grief like that's the other thing like everyone goes through a stage of grief where it is a very selfish you know (laughs) like that's that is natural and normal to me that's all i'm saying i do want to say as well i really do not have i feel like it's strong opinion on this (laughs) just i really like i really was just kind of like come on like i guess also for me like i was seeing it via like margaret's point of view and again, it was another moment where I was like, Margaret, like, women are in danger. <laughs> like, this is yeah, not yeah. an easy time for you. Like, you should look at this as a warning sign. Like, is this woman going to have to go to the workhouse? Like, what is going to happen? Um, so, yeah, it's just like, you in danger, girl. Like, get your stuff together. Yeah. Like, she's not, she's not aware, is she? She's not. She's not. She's just kind of like, oh, gosh, she really needs to pull herself together. It's been a day. We're not all like you, Margaret. We can't all just, you know, lie to the murder police and go to your mom's funeral and, you know, just all in day. Like it's, you know, sometimes we need to we need to grieve and get angry. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back home, both Margaret and Mr. Hale are just like anxiously awaiting for Mr. Thornton to drop by for a visit. Just like every every sound, every step outside the door they're just like oh is it him is it him is it him no no but no no it's um mr higgins comes by (laughs) just kind of like and um dixon is none too pleased i i love how she's just like if only you saw the state of his shoes like don't i can't believe we're just you know we're accepting this man into the house men like that used to go back into the kitchen like he's just gonna go up into mr hale's study like this is not right but yeah, so they receive Mr. Higgins and um, he, you know, tells them that he's thinking about going down south to find work. 
And Margaret and Mr. Hale are kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know if that's a great idea. Like, you should probably stay here and, you know, have you talked to Mr. Thornton? He's a great guy. He can get you hooked up with a job. Yeah. And um, Higgins has been by, but he he wasn't able to see Thornton directly, of course. He's like, I'm not like, I can't just walk in and, you know, see the CEO of a corporation. Yeah. Of course, he's like been thrown out. They're just like, get out of here. And, um, you know, Margaret implores him. She's like, listen, like, you need to talk to Mr. Thornton. He's a great guy. He's going to give you a job. Like, I guarantee it. Mr. Hale's even like, let me put in a good word with, with Thornton for you. But, you know, Higgins is a proud man, and he insists that he's just going to do it alone. So, good luck to him. You got I told this. you, I'm, wor- I'm you worried about Bates. I know you are, but he's fine. You know he'll be fine. <laughs> okay, chapter 38, Promises Fulfilled. I actually really, really love this chapter. So many things happen. Yeah. Yeah, because we it's like it's a back at Thornton spot chapter, right? Yeah. I like Thornton's Thornton's yeah. place. Yeah, and there's always like good things going on in his brain. Well, I mean they're not good things, but they're pleasurable to read, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so like he's just I just picture him like sitting by the window, like just like brooding, like he is just haunted again. He's still thinking about this man that Mags was with at the train station. This stuff just... lingers. This stuff stays on your mind. Oh, it's really on his mind. And then, like, not only is it the man, like, it's also the lie, right? Like, she lied to me and the murder police. (laughs) How dare she? Um, Mrs. Thornton, finally back in the scene. I missed her. I was like, I miss you, girl. It's been a while. (laughs) So she approaches her son and... um, She's already like, she's just like in a tiff, right? Like her emotions are all dusted up and she's pissed off because Betsy, their maid, wants to quit because her lover, Leonard's, has died. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. And um, she can't wait to tell Thornton that she's like, oh, and by the way, Betsy was talking about Miss Hale. I mean, that's like, why oh. she brought Betsy up. Like, come on. <laughs> How many well, how many people uh, do you know who are just like, oh, my shoelace is broken. Speaking of shoelaces. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> she does kind of try to play it off. Like, oh, well, I mean, this is really important, Betsy, because, you know, she knows how the house works and blah, 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 actually, blah. I do, yeah. I do think that that is a moment where Mrs. Thornton is just like, okay, cool. Like, I listen to everything going on about the factory, but you actually have very little working knowledge of how a household is run. Yeah, I that's true. That's a fair point. That like it's something that all of the men in this, like, yeah, life, life just happens around them. Exactly. Apart like, from she, you, need to know. <laughs> Apart from yeah. humans, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, she just can't wait to talk about. Oh, she can't wait to talk about Margaret. She's like, you know, well, Betsy heard that Miss Hale was at the train station with a man, and that was the same man that hit Leonard's. And Thornton, of course, he knows all this. And he's just like, well, it's none of my business. Fingers in his ears. La, 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 la. I can't hear yep. you. <laughs> Don't need to hear you, mom. Um, but Mrs. T is relentless because that's, you know, that's who she is. And she's just like, listen, you don't get it. I made a promise to Mrs. Hale that I would look after her daughter. And um, I have just 
I've just got to let her know that this is improper behavior. So she cannot wait to get over there and just give Margaret the business. She's going to let her have it. She is. And Mr. Thornton's just like, whatever. Like, I think she was with a lover. Go advise her. I don't know. I don't care. I'm not involved. I'm not. I'm over her, by the way. Yeah. So I'm just sitting here thinking about business things. Business And she's like, things. well. Yeah. She's like, well. And then she, you know, immediately just like puts her coat on and is like, I'm going to go give that woman a piece of my mind. And <laughs> I know that we're going to do um, listener comments at the end, but I will insert this one from uh, Kimberly Treesong Lore. And she said, I really enjoyed Promises Fulfilled with the energy between two headstrong female characters. So yeah, like this is what I'm looking forward to. I was like, as soon as I read this, I was like, oh yes, are Margaret and Mrs. Thornton gonna fight? Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. And then Kimberly continues, uh, Mrs. Thornton took a savage pleasure in the idea of speaking to her mind in the guise of fulfillment of duty. Absolutely. She's like, listen, I made a promise to her mother that I would tell her whenever she was being an asshole. And I'm just, I gotta do it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she is adamant with herself that she will not let Margaret's glamour, an allusion to fairy illusion, um, get the best of her. She works herself up into a lather with her practice speech, only to lose her head of steam once she sees poor Gentile Mags. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so great. So, um, yeah, Mrs. Thornton basically goes over there. And um, this chapter, too, I was also like, God. Mrs. Thornton and Mags are so similar. They are so similar. <laughs> Thornton just is just, he's just attracted to his mother. <laughs> yeah. And also, right. Classic. Yeah. There is a bit later on, and it's not in my notes, so I'll just say it now. There is a bit where um, Thornton is like, I just want to soothe her like a mother would. Mm-hmm. And I was like, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And um, what's great about this is that Mrs. Thornton just like says all the things that she like, she kind of starts off nice, but then she just lets her have it basically. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not good enough for my son. She's been waiting on to say that one forever. Yeah. Like, you don't know what you rejected. You don't even know, girl. You were lucky. Um, also, the whole like, I suspect you have a secret lover and your reputation has been damaged. Um, your mother made me promise to look out for you, but I didn't even want to. <laughs> it just is like, I was actually, I was on the receiving mess. end of this very recently. I told, what? I, yeah, I told a guy who's been, you know, trying to get, get my attention that I wasn't interested. And, um, I got a very long message, but basically just outlining my flaws and that I'm not attractive and they're not interested and they speak to a lot of women and I've been single for a long time and was it from him or from his mother I know I mean, it was from him but it was just this like <laughs> almost like the floodgates had been opened and the nice oh, were done and he was just God. like you, you are asking for it now and I was like I mean one I wasn't asking for it at all <laughs> I was trying to be polite and see and I just sent back this like very banal like well you know I just really hope we can do pals that's a good response actually yeah i was just like okay (laughs) or you just like an lol well yeah (laughs) (laughs) i did like i've shown i've shown everyone this message but 
I want to see it. You have to show it to me. Classic nice guy. Ugh. Mrs. Thornton is being a nice guy. <laughs> she is. She is. Like, I just need to let you know. So, um, you know, Margaret takes it pretty well, actually. I wanted to see them kind of get into it a little bit more. But she's a queen. Yeah, you she know. kind of just swans out, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. She takes the high road. So it's it's uh, it's good honor. Um, also in this chapter, right after that action-packed chapter, uh, Higgins... He, he goes to hit up Thornton for a job. Yeah. But it's kind of been like poor timing. Like Thornton's been paying more attention to his business because of like after the strike, he's like had to put a bunch of shit together. Stuff has not been really going so well for him. Higgins like hits him up on the street like, hey, man, do you think I can get a job? And that doesn't really go so well. No. And also he's just been there for like five hours. Yeah. Like he keeps like he keeps coming back to the point. He's like, How long's the guy been waiting there? And he's like, Oh, about five hours. And then he goes off to some more business, thinks about it a bit more. It's like, I'm not giving him a job. And then he's like, Wow, <laughs> oh god, yeah, five hours is a long time to be told no. <laughs> <laughs> uh so sad. So chapter 39, making friends. Yeah. Making friends. Ooh, it's me. Friends. I'm us. It's you. I know. God, I just flew through those chapters. I hope everyone is ready for the sluggish second half. <laughs> the <laughs> no, slow, slow second half. So, uh, Making Friends opens with Mags in a terrible mood. She is pacing around her house. Uh, she is aware that Mrs. Thornton only has half of the story. She doesn't have all of the facts. And so, like, she's obviously going to jump to some conclusions, but she's kind of horrified that she would believe so much of her that margaret would be indiscreet that margaret would be out with a man after dark that she would be involved in like this big scandal um and she realizes kind of while she's ruminating on this that mr thornton also probably took fred for a lover like that had not occurred to her before and she is (laughs) mortified and then she does like a very hannah thing she just is suddenly like I'm never going to get married. I've passed from childhood into old age. Yeah, I've, like suddenly it just I've never to been like a ton a of bricks. Yeah. yeah, and then she's like, man, why am I feeling so low? Why am I feeling so upset? And then suddenly we get to this really juicy bit that I think everyone kind of like is perked up, social media lit up. Um, mm-hmm. The quote, I will not think of myself and my own position. I won't examine into my own feelings. It would be of no use now. And then the killer, it has come upon me little by little and I don't know where it began. She's talking about her feelings about Thornton. Guess what? In this Pride and Prejudice fanfic, she's Mr. Darcy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Margaret. Like, doesn't that just feel like that moment, Lauren? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Good. So (laughs) um, she doesn't really know. Now that she's, like, had this realisation, she just does not know how she's going to behave in front of Mr. Thornton. And so she's like, well, I'll just try and see less of him. You know, like, maybe we can just not bump into each other so much. Mm -hmm. She then goes for a walk and bumps into her dad, who's like, oh, hey, have you just been to visit the widow Boucher? And she's like, no, I'll go there now. So she goes, and guess what? Mrs. Boucher is dying. So we did already know that she was sick and probably going to die at some point. Yeah. 
but now it's like she's actually dying like higgins went yeah. to go and get the doctor they're waiting for the doctor to come the neighbors have come in and just like one neighbor's got like a couple of kids another neighbor's got a couple they're all like spread out um and the line is this is about was dying and there was nothing to do but wait yeah so that sounds Good. like a fun afternoon and maggie's just there she's just like on the sorry i just like banging the table um she is just ready involved right there at death's door she's like come on we got this um she stumbles across higgins who has two of the little vouchers in his house and she finds out that thornton did not give higgins a job uh she's like did you you told him that i told you and he's like yeah i told him that you told me to ask him and he still didn't give me a job and you shouldn't have meddled and blah blah blah, blah. so and then she yeah. says that she was disappointed in thornton just as mr thornton walks in the door uh, of course mags does a mags walks out the room she's gone and mr thornton Bye. explains that he has basically just spent the entire day trying to find out about higgins like What's his deal? What was the what was the scenario with Boucher? Who were the kids? Uh, why did he stand outside for five hours? That's pretty cool. And he says to him, like, <laughs> whose who's kids are these? And there's this great line where Higgins says, they're mine and they're not mine. They're not his children, yeah. but they're his responsibility. And I think you, you just suddenly feel like, oh, these children are in safe hands. Yeah. Because here's this guy who has, he, oh, like, he morally feels like he owes them something, but mm-hmm. legally and, you know, in any other circumstance, like there is nothing connecting them there apart from the fact that Nicholas Higgins is like a king among men. <laughs> so right. I love, I love him. Your attitude towards Higgins has changed then since viewing the, uh, the miniseries in college. Yeah. I think if I like, if he wasn't Bates, then I would have been fine. He's just okay. like, he just shouts about the strike a lot in the TV show. <laughs> and does. also when I read the book, you know, I don't understand any of the strike talks. So <laughs> like none of that, that's just going straight over my head. So I just get all of these little moments where he talks about the kid and then I don't really understand what he's doing for the next 12 pages. So gotcha. gotcha. my experience of book, book baits is different to TV baits. Mm. Um, so then the two of them are kind of like, yeah, we've both kind of shit talked to each other. Um, like I said that you look like a bulldog in a cloak. You said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I said that you were like a scoundrel and a little scallywag, like stirring up trouble. And then Thornton says, um, "We neither of us can think much worse of the other than we do now," which seems like a great way to start a working relationship. Yeah. Start it does, doesn't each it? other because it can only get better and you won't disappoint anyone. Yeah, it's fair enough. That's how we started this podcast. Yeah, exactly. We hated each other and we still do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Thornton plods on, goes home, and uh, as he's going, he sees Margaret up ahead. So he catches up with her and he's like, oh, you spoke too soon, bitch. <laughs> I gave Higgins a job. And then he's like, oh, and by the way, so this is him being a nice guy. He's like, by the way, you being so indiscreet, putting you at risk. And she knows that he means that when she was with Fred and she's just like, listen, dude, I can't tell you anything about that without getting this guy into trouble. So conversation closed. 
And he storms off because he's basically expecting her to tell him what he wants to hear, like to explain and to apologise. And she's not going to. And his parting shot to her is, if you're quite convinced that any foolish passion on my part is entirely over, I will wish you good afternoon. And she's just like, so bearing in mind that her whole turmoil since he caught her in the lie without her knowing it and then we realize when she's like oh I actually do love him and she's totally convinced that he cannot love her anymore because he has seen her to be a liar yeah so she's just like what you don't like me (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand she's like I can't believe that you think that I think that you think that I still like you or that you still (laughs) you know it's confusing So then she's just like, I'm not going to waste my time trying to change the opinion of a man who keeps telling me that I mean nothing to him. And it's like, yes, Mags, you're wrong. But yeah, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Preach. Uh, So she goes home (laughs) determined to be in a good mood and be really chipper. And her dad's quite surprised by that. And then there's a letter from Mr. Hale's friend, Mr. Bell. He's going to come and visit, and there's a letter from Edith, and she's just like, "Oh, hey, we're all going back to Harley Street because my unborn baby does not like Corfu." Yeah. And then uh, Mags is like, "I could start going on holiday and staying with the Lennoxes, and it'll be nice, and it'll be like a change that I need." But then yeah. she starts to realize uh, the reason that she wants the change is that she cannot get away from Thornton. Uh, Higgins is talking about Thornton her dad is talking about Thornton her dad and Higgins are talking about Thornton's her dad is talking about Mr Thornton and his relationship with Mr Bell and how Mr Bell knows Mr Thornton and it's just like bloody men right? Can't can't get away from them you cannot well you know it's only fair he can't get away from Margaret no neither of them can get away from the other one it's true so the next chapter, chapter 40, this is the one that gave, <laughs> made me want to have a nervous breakdown. And I was like, <laughs> it's called Out of Tune and it is dense. Yeah, so, there's a lot goes on in this chapter. Whew, ready? Yeah. Mr. Bell arrives. Mags likes him straight away. As I would say, so did most of our listeners. Yeah, I think we like, all felt good about Mr. Bell. I... I'm unsure about Mr. Bell, actually. Oh, oh. I think he's really funny and I really like his lines, but there is some stuff that I'll talk about in a minute that I'm just like, oh, shut up. So uh, Mags is kind of saying to, they have all of these conversations about how he's like an old fuddy-duddy and he's like set in his Oxford ways and he's kind of ragging on Milton a little bit, which is where he's from. And Mag says that actually maybe Oxford people and Milton people would benefit if they mixed a little more instead of people being separate all the Mm -hmm. time. And I think that that's a really good sign that she is growing and she's changing and her attitude is changing and the way she talks about and to people is very different. Mr. Thornton comes over for tea and he and Mr. Bell have a little chinwag downstairs before they go and join Mr. Hale and Margaret. But Mr. Thornton cannot concentrate on anything Mr. Bell is talking about because he knows that Margaret is upstairs and that any minute now he's about to go and see her. Yeah. So he comes across really badly in this conversation. And Mr. Bell thinks that he is really rude and blunt and gruff. And Mr. Thornton thinks that Mr. Bell is too prosy. He talks too much. Yeah. 
when they do eventually go upstairs, Mags is reading a letter from Henry Lennox about Fred. But obviously they stop reading it when Thornton um, appears. And then Mr. Hale kind of cryptically tells Mr. Bell, um, oh, Mr. Lennox thinks that there may be some hope. Doesn't say what it's about, but he drops in a name. And so Mr. Thornton's like, who's this Mr. Lennox? Who what? is Mr. Lennox? Who? So now who do he's we, like, he's who do tortured. We know who he thinks he is. Ooh, he's like, maybe the mysterious man from the train. Exactly. And what could he have hope for? You know? Ooh. Right. Right. Maybe there's something keeping them apart. I think that's where like Mr. Thornton's brain is going. They can't mm-hmm. be together. There's the secret. And maybe there's like some hope has uh, revealed itself. Mm-hmm. They then have a really long theological debate about the difference between living life and enjoying life. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. Mr. Thornton's like, I don't know what you mean to enjoy life, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so Mr. Thornton's like, I don't like to enjoy myself. And Mr. Bell's like, I like to enjoy myself. That's where they both fall. Um, Mr. Bell then lets slip in the conversation that earlier Mags had been a little bit pro-Milton. And then Mr. Thornton has this like look of surprise. And then Mags is like, oh, don't turn my words around. <laughs> He just can't help but just be like crotchety <laughs> about everything. Um, they then start talking about the way Oxford people look to the past while in Milton they look to the future. And then talk gets I like that bit, strike. actually. I really liked that bit. But this is a really mm-hmm. dense chapter, so let's we again. <laughs> yeah. Talk moves on to the strike. And this bit really made me laugh because Mags is like, I'm going to change the conversation. And she says... Edith says she finds the printed calicos in Corfu better and cheaper than in London. (laughs) Know your audience, Margaret. Does anyone care? Guess who cares? Mr. Thornton. (laughs) I'm surprised this didn't come up, actually. So, hear me out. Calico is, I believe, it's a mixture of cotton and linen, right? Mm -hmm. Mr. Thornton is a cotton person making cotton. The Americans are selling cotton in. Linen is a fabric that is uh, much more expensive um, it's not as modern and blah, 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 blah. So fabric is of importance to Mr. Thornton. It's literally his entire business. And so talking about the cost of fabric in a different country in comparison to London is topical and interesting. But the way it's presented, it's just like, oh, by the by, womanly shit. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just feel like Mr. Thornton could have been like, interesting fact. But instead... Mr. Hale's like, nah, Edith's exaggerating. Mr. Bell is like, no one who's a friend of Margaret's could be exaggerating. Margaret's the pillar <laughs> of truth. And then Mr. Thornton says, um, uh, is Miss Hale so remarkable for the truth? And then instantly regrets it because Margaret's just like, ah, oh, that's some shady yeah. shit. Uh, doesn't say anything else and just sits there sewing. And then Mr. Thornton is slowly getting more and more and more and more worked up because he wants to make eye contact with her. He wants to apologise. He wants to kind of get across that he feels remorse for letting this, like, comment come out. Like, it gets to the point he wants to shake her just so he can apologise for saying what, what he did. And in the end, he, he has to leave. He has to go home. And um, as he's walking off, he's like, you know what? The only thing I can do is just see less of her which is the conclusion that yeah. she came to earlier. So they mm-hmm. both at this point are like, look, we just we just can't see each other that much. Yeah. 
everyone's getting ready for bed and Mr. Bell comments that he cannot believe how spoiled by success Thornton is. And Mags comes to his defence and says he's not usually like this. Something's put him in a bad mood. She knows what it is. Like, yeah, she, she it's, me. it's me. Yeah, by it's me, exactly. by the way. It's me. It's all about me. Um, and then so she goes to bed and then Mr. Bell, who's a canny fellow, says to Mr. Hale, is there something going on between Mags and Thornton? And Mr. Hale is like, no, first of all, Margaret wouldn't have him. Second of all, <laughs> I don't know. No one has said anything to me. But Mr. Bell is not convinced. And so he tells Mr. Hale that he should take care of Margaret. Um and then one day, if she's not married, she can just, like, look after them in her old age. Mm-hmm. And this is my issue, okay? This is my issue where an older guy who's the same age as your dad comes into your life and is just like, think of me as your child. Uh, think of me as, like, another father. I'm going to think of you as my child. And basically, you can spend the rest of your entire life caring for me while I'm a drooling, toothless old man who can't see why yeah. is that the sum of her life? That's so annoying. And also... <laughs> I see I see what you're saying. I think later on, it feels like Mr. Bell is... Um, he's open to more options. I mean, he is the only person in her life, I guess the, the reason why I did have some appreciation for him, that comes in and is like, we got to figure out what we're doing with this girl. <laughs> like, we have to figure yeah, out, like, what absolutely. is her future? But I do think, as far as... So, obviously, I've seen the TV show. But his... His most, all of his dialogue isn't adding up. So, in one mm-hmm. sentence, he will say, "She is my child. She is my daughter. She is my darling girl." And then it's like, "She is a queen among women. She is like the best person ever. No man will ever be good enough." And it's like, it's yeah, too, yeah, it's too much. So, like, Mr. Mm-hmm. Bell does have other interests. He might not know it yet, and certainly he's not spoken about it to anyone else. But there is something more going on, and yeah. She is too young for him, like she is, even within yeah. the realms of this society. He needs to sort it out. Um, and he talks about like being jealous of the Lennoxes and their claim and how he kind of just yeah. wants to like, look after her for himself. And yeah, so it's just, it's very possessive. And mm-hmm. that's, no, that's totally what is. I don't like about it. Like, she's not a thing. She's not like a little pixie that will like look after you when you're really old. So, right. yeah. But as a character, I think he's really funny. I really like, I really like his observations and as I said on Facebook um the uh just the narrative device of bringing in a new character with fresh eyes and then having them saying the stuff to everyone oh well what do you yeah. think about this and what do you think about this and I've noticed this I think is very clever for the plot at this point because we're coming towards yeah. the end of the story and we've got all of these confusing things where we're very much stuck in the characters heads and now we've got this objective character who's like well actually I can see how you're all behaving and it's quite obvious, but none of you can see it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so then, uh, kind of a bit of time, time jump, uh, Mr. Hale and Maggie go for a visit and they find that all of the Boucher children are living at Higgins house and that between him and Mary and the nice neighbor, they are just going to raise them as best they can. Higgins mm-hmm. tells Mr. Hale that Thornton comes to visit him like a lot. And they've got this really complicated relationship now because Higgins cannot figure out how Mr. Thornton, 
the manufacturer and Mr. Thornton, the guy that comes to his house and cares about the kids. Like, how do these two men fit together? Right. And they, they have these long discussions. And you remember that's what someone just needed to get these two into a room together. What's nice, too, is that, well, I mean, Thornton's kind of taking these social graces and airs that he's sort of learned from, like, interacting with the Hales. Yeah. Basically. And now he's, like, he's moving it along. Like, yeah. he's still BFF with Mr. Hale, obviously. But he is developing this relationship with, you know, Higgins and the Boucher children. And yeah, yeah and obviously part of that is to avoid Margaret as well. And it's this, it's, well, it's the pace of life. It's, it kind of goes back to what Mr. Bell is talking about in Oxford. Um, everyone in, everyone in Milton is just moving and progressing. And just there's this pace of life that doesn't allow for these conversations. And what the Hales mm-hmm. have done is they've brought rhetoric and, like taking the time to just sit and talk with someone and they'll sit and talk with Higgins and they'll sit and talk with Thornton. Like they'll have these debates and these conversations and they'll try and look at both sides of the argument, which is something that hasn't been happening in Milton. Like it, right. like it just hasn't. Everyone's just been trying to plough to get, you know, just straight straight towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Hale, uh, sorry. So then Higgins is like, Actually, Mr. Thornton is going to be here pretty soon because he wants to talk about the schooling of the two littlest kids. So then Mags is just like, we've got to go because um, I, I just don't want to see Mr. Thornton. Yeah. Mr. Hale then, Mr. Hale asks Mar- uh, Margaret if she's got any reason to think that Mr. Thornton likes her. And then she finally kind of says to her dad, well, actually, yeah, he told me he likes me. Um, and I turned him down. And that's as much as yeah. I can say on the subject. I don't want to talk about it. It's too upsetting. And this is actually a very Margaret move. She'll give a little bit of the information and then it's like, I'm not going to tell you anymore. Right. Stop giving people half half of the truth. <laughs> she learned it from her parents. She did learn it from her parents. I mean, the apple did not fall far from that tree. Right. When they get home, Mr. Hale suggests that Margaret perhaps go to London for a couple of weeks, um, go and visit Aunt Shaw and the Lennoxes. They're all going back to Harley Street. And at first she doesn't want to leave him, but then she actually, you know, maybe a change, change of scene is going to do her some good. And she starts thinking about the fun that she would have. Mm-hmm. Of the chapter is basically Mr. Hale just sitting around and thinking, well, Thornton doesn't come and visit me anymore and no one talks to anyone and it's that it's that pace of life thing. Yeah. Just, just think and he's he's lonely. He he has lost the situation with Thornton and Margaret means that Mr. Hale has in a way kind of lost his friend. Yeah. Sad. And he doesn't know. And it is. I, I think it's a really depressing end to a chapter. And speaking of a depressing end to a chapter, the next chapter is also depressing. Chapter forty one the journey's end (laughs) so this chapter opens with basically the thorntons have more or less stopped visiting the hales mrs thornton hasn't been by since the argument mr thornton will come by do his lesson and then leaves like he doesn't pop in for tea and they don't have these these conversations margaret is listless she's depressed she is trying to focus on teaching the little boucher kids but she just can't set her mind to it and the only thing that she can do well, which she doesn't even think about doing, it's not like an active thought, um, is just being there for her dad and comforting him because they're, they're both still in mourning. Like all of this other stuff yeah. is happening immediately after the funeral for Mrs. Hale. 
Uh, meanwhile, in Spain, Fred has married Dolores and is bloody furious that Henry Lennox cannot seem to get him off. You know, uh, Henry Lennox, not a great lawyer. Well, there's the witness thing. They just can't, they can't find the yeah, witnesses, can they? can't they? really without, get the witnesses. Without those yeah. testimonies, there, there really isn't anything that he can I'm probably do. not being fair to Henry Lennox. I just, I judge him based on the actor that played him in the miniseries, who I do not like. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, exactly. I don't like you. But I mean, <laughs> You're probably I, a bad lawyer. Margaret You're the worst. says that she can tell from his letters that he's very clever, but there's mm. no warmth there. They haven't seen each other in, you know, years. And they're not just... He's kind of helping her because he has to, you know. It's not... Yeah. Family so thing. Dolores is also writing to them and her letters are described as being pretty and girlish. And she sends Mags like a nice little shawl. And her heart's really warming to this wife of Fred's. Um, Fred has got a job in Spain. He's kind of married into this family business and he's now a merchant. Yeah, he's doing really well. He's doing really well, but he's a merchant. He's in trade. <laughs> like... Come on. Remember, Mags, Mrs. Hale, and Fred were all incredibly prejudiced against tradesmen. Like this incredibly is true. And there's a line. Well, trade or no trade, Frederick was very, very happy. So I feel like there he's done some growing as well. Yeah, he's done some growing. They've done some growing. It's all coming together. Everyone's growing strong. It's a Game of Thrones mm-hmm. reference. So um, Mr. Bell invites Mr. Hale and Max to go and visit him in Oxford. And you know what? You go for a couple of weeks. I'm going to have some R&R on my own. Just chilling. Let, like, I don't want to look after anyone for a little bit, basically. So um, dad goes off and she's at home feeling frustrated about the Fred situation. And then she like starts reading this book and it's in French. And I'm going to you know ad lib it says yeah we're in a hole but with a little bit of courage and god's grace we can learn from it and climb out so she realizes she's got to rally and try and like take what she can from the situation and just be brave and continue she hangs out with martha for a bit the servant that they hired that works with dixon and martha's like yeah the thornsons have been looking after me since i was a tiny baby girl uh they're good people they're yeah they're lovely um my dad uh, fell on some hard times. I think her mum died and they they basically just haven't let her like starve to death. Like they've, mm-hmm. they've helped her as best they can. She also drops in that Fanny is getting married. So that's, yeah. that's going to be important. I want to see Fanny's tea. wedding. I do too. That's what I want. Um, Mags goes to visit the Boucher babies and she finds Higgins home from work early. Uh, they chat about his work a bit. Uh, I'm going to level with you, Lauren. I do not know what he was talking about. <laughs> Unclear to me. I can't remember. I can't remember. Like, why is he home from work early? There's like four paragraphs explaining it, but if anyone knows, <laughs> you tell me. I have, not, I have not got a clue at all. <laughs> uh, so then she goes home again. She's still feeling frustrated about Fred. She's still feeling lonely. She starts thinking about her dad. And just as she's thinking about him, we then kind of jump to Mr. Hale in Oxford thinking about her. So he's feeling a little bit out of sorts. He's kind of among his old acquaintances. And from by all accounts, he's very shy. He's from a smaller college in Oxford. Not a lot of people know him. He's obviously 
had his doubts and left the church and so there's a lot of social pressure there mm-hmm. but actually the people that do meet him really warm to him and like love him very much and so he goes and he's he's having this really lovely time like with old acquaintances not everyone's there but you know that p- people care about him uh he does kind of confide in mr bell and say to him that if he'd known what suffering was awaiting them in milton he doesn't know that he would have acted as he did and leave the church yeah he might have stayed for the sake of his wife and daughter mm. Mm, the man that doesn't care is he I hope there's I mean, a few of you regretting you. <laughs> there's a thing called hindsight. Well, I'm still team Mr. Hill. I knew that if I said that, we'd like get into it. We don't need to get into it. <laughs> so he also is very worried about what might happen to Mags if he dies. So Mags isn't worried about it, but he's worrying about it. The last the last few years have really they they're starting to take their toll on Mr. Hale. He feels yeah, every bit as they day. should. Yeah, and, and Mr. Bell's just like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Like, I'm really fit. Uh, I'm really fit. And there's always like the fit old men that die, right? You'll be fine. Right. No, he's like, he's like, um, I'm really gouty. So I'm going to die first. Whereas you're just like a spring <laughs> bean and there's nothing wrong with you. Mr. Hale. Yeah, they have that conversation too, where like Mr. Hale's only 55, I think, at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that comes up like and I'm like, oh, I was like, oh God, 55 is not that old. No, And uh, Mr. Bell is 60. Yeah. And like, like Mr. Oh, no. Mr. Hale does think he's like, well, the Lennoxes will help her, so it's not too bad. And then Mr. Mr. Bell, being possessive like he is, is just like, I will look after her. Actually, I will. I will look after her. Um. Now there's oh, it was such a good line. So obviously they're having this conversation about death, and then when Mr. Hale um, leaves, it says, if Mr. Bell had a prophetic eye. You might have seen the torch all but inverted and the angel with the grave and composed face standing very high, beckoning to his friend. I mean... That's some Bronte shit! (laughs) Isn't it? It is. It got very gothic. Just like, just it just drops in. It's just like, oh shit. And you're just like, oh, something's gonna happen. Yeah. And then in the next line, Something happens <laughs> because Mr. Hale lies down in bed and then his heart stops. <laughs> it's so, it's like foreshadowing. It, happens, it really is. Like straight away. It's, it's like foreshadowing, but then it like hits you on the head like a ton of bricks too. It's like, uh, uh, you don't even have time it's to like, adjust to the line. And then you're like, oh, he's dead. It's like watching a movie with my little brothers and like we're watching Harry Potter or whatever. And then... He walks into the room. He goes, "Oh, Hannah, the the sorcerer's stones actually in the mirror." And then I look at the screen, and then yeah, the sorcerer's stones. Are, like, I'm not allowed to watch stuff. They have to tell me what's going to happen before it happens on the screen, as if it's a test <laughs> to see if they've remembered the entire film. So that was, you know, I relived that. That was great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bell is like, I've got to go to Milton first. He kind of he's like, I promise I didn't poison him. Yeah. That was a good conversation because people like should we do an inquest and he's like i didn't poison him (laughs) everything's fine i've got to go to milton now bye (laughs) he goes to milton and uh yeah i guess he's on the train Mm, mr thornton mr thornton and he's like oh yeah mr hell died um yeah and then there's like this really long silence for 15 minutes 
Yeah. And then Thorns is like, and she. And it's not even a question mark, it's an exclamation mark. And she. <laughs> like, I just I just want to read just Thornton's dialogue and Thornton's thoughts just like on their own because his work is yeah, it's great. And yeah, Mr. Bell's just going back onto this idea of Margaret looking after him in his old age. It sounds like a really great life, you know. I'm very happy for Margaret that she just gets to look after this old guy. Cool, great. It's like, oh, well, you yeah, can I mean, let her help her, or you know, yeah, it does. I mean, that's what it is, Lauren. Like, it's it's let. It is. I mean, the men in this book are. I just. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can't with with most of them. Yeah. Um, so he's like, well, yeah, either I'll look after her or I guess the Lennoxes will. And Mr. Thornson is just like, oh, who I'm gonna, are they? I'm going to nibble. He's like, who are the Lennoxes? But more importantly, who is he? <laughs> <laughs> Specifically the man. Um, yeah, he thinks that Mr. Lennox is the man that Margaret is in love with. And yeah. Yeah. And but Mr. Bell doesn't like change that opinion. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything no. like. You know, and like, well, he, he encourages it, doesn't he? Because he's yeah. something like, oh, like, oh, yeah, they, they used to always be together. They I think they're still together. in correspondence. Um, I think they're still corresponding. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, there's that brother, you know. They're all related yeah. by marriage. Um, and Thornton even does bring up, like, wait, wasn't the bro- brother here? And, um, you know, obviously Mr. Bell doesn't know anything about it. But Mr. Bell's like, nah, nah, dude. Well, it he- was not him that you saw. So um, Mr. Bell arrives. And Margaret sees him from the window and she's just like, oh, my dad's dead. She can just yeah. tell from his face. She knows. And then... Uh, she well, she's just, like, if he would... I think she says something like, "Yeah, there's if, you know, he was sick, then he would have stayed and, like, sent word. Yeah. And then it's like, but he's here and he's, like, here alone, mm-hmm. which means it can only mean one thing. Mm-hmm. Chapter 42. Alone, alone. My Bang. favorite yes. chapter title. Yeah. I also read it like alone, alone. Oh, I I really liked Margaret's Panic. Feeling. I think that was my favorite, actually. Oh, Margaret's Flynn. <laughs> um, so which is the next chapter? So Mags is now an orphan. Um, unlike when her mum died, and I think this is because, like, as the chapter suggests, she is now completely and utterly alone. Uh she lies down, she can't move. She's completely spent. Uh, she's exhausted yeah. she's got no more emotional strength she she cannot do anything and everyone is understandably quite worried about that because they've seen her kind of rising to other situations yeah dixon and mr bell between them are trying to figure out who can come to her um edith is pregnant she's very close to her confinement captain lennox is not going to want to leave his wife who's about to give birth and then Dixon's like, Aunt Shaw's not going to come because her kid's going to give birth. And like, this is a very interesting time for her. And Mr. Yeah. Bell is just like, well, I mean, Edith has been pregnant for nine months and this old lady has been living in another country. So she can't give that much of a crap. Like, it's yeah. very convenient <laughs> now. Yeah. And also this girl's like her daughter. So yeah, she's going to come. And he writes her this very stern letter and her aunt Shaw is like, oh, it reminds me of my dear general when he was full of gout. And, yeah, it's uh, like she yeah, digs it. Like, she's like, she, this, is, this is a woman that wants, she, she wants to be told what to do. Like, yeah. Edith is her daughter, you know. Edith's thing is like, maybe I'll have a strop, but I mean, if someone tells me to do something, eventually I will do it. You know. 
Um, yeah. Edith does think it's very convenient of Mr. Hale to die right when they've all moved home and can look after Margaret, which I thought was a very hilarious. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so Anshaw arrives in Milton and she cannot believe the place that Mr. Hale moved her sister to and says that she wouldn't have rested easily in Naples if, if she had known. Yeah, she was living it she, up. Right. She was living it up. Her sister was living in what she sees to be very squalid conditions. Yeah. And yeah, she she kind of hates Mr. Hale for it. Mm-hmm. She, I don't think she'll forgive him for that. Um, when Mag sees her aunt Shaw for the first time, uh, she's very emotional. So when people were telling her, well, your aunt Shaw's coming, she kind of doesn't respond to it. Um, she doesn't seem to care. And then she sees that face, which before in the book, she says was so much like her mother's. And she just yeah. starts crying. She just has a good cry straight off the bat. Thornton comes by. Dixon doesn't want to let him in, but Mr. Bell overhears and says, just come on in, dude. Just come on in. Uh, and then Thornton is like, you don't have to stay here. You know, you could come and stay at my house. We've got like six bedrooms, two bathrooms, a swimming pool, tennis court. Like my fridge Tokyo is fully maze. stocked. Like it's, let's just be yeah. bros. I've got a basement. I've got like an arcade. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these two lads they set off together uh, well I mean Mr Bell says goodbye but then they go off Mr Thornton does not go upstairs and um, yeah Mr Bell is saying to Thornton that Margaret has kind of said to him that while she has some friends that she wants to say goodbye to she cannot wait to leave the place where she has suffered so much and Thornton being the angsty boy that he is <laughs> fixates on the phrase like fixates on it and we get this great bit of uh, internal dialogue from him uh, alas and that was the way in which these 18 months in Milton unspeakably precious down to its very bitterness which was earth all of the rest of life's sweetness would be remembered and then he goes on to think that not even the loss of both of his parents would make him cherish their time together any less it had been a time of royal luxury to him luxury, I mean it just goes to show how hard his life has been like, yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean some are like listen if you want to get in these pants this is how <laughs> like these are the messages i want don't point out <laughs> how long i've been single and don't tell me i'm unattractive <laughs> <laughs> follow thornton's advice um so yeah they get home and fanny is in a tear she's getting ready for her wedding Mrs. Thornton asks after Mags and Mr. Bell says that her loving aunt has arrived. And then Mrs. Thornton throws some shade their direction and is like, well, where were these friends when Margaret was having a really shit time? Like, yeah. So it's all very well and good them coming now that she's an orphan, but where have they been? Like, it hasn't been a bed of roses. Like, in the slightest. And Mr. Bell explains that they were living abroad and then he mentions Fred and Mr. Thornton just goes straight for the bait, which is what he's been doing. Like the whole second half of this book is just Mr. Thornton. Like, what did you say? What did you? Yeah, who's that? What? Who's, what, what's Tell me about the man. Is that a man? Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's like, yeah, so who's Fred? And then so Mr. Bell gives them Fred's backstory. They're, I mean, there's no reason for him not to, basically, because yeah. it was in the papers and stuff. Um he gives him the backstory and then Mr. Thornton says, so this is the bit that threw me off earlier because Mr. Thornton says to him, is that the young man I saw with Margaret? And then Mr. Bell is okay. like, well, he's not 
he's not been in the country like it's definitely not him like he can't come in because he'll be hung so cool your boots but obviously it was him so now Mr Bolton like if if Mr Bell had said to him that was Margaret's brother then the interaction later chapters would be completely different because he would know that this person like oh my gosh Mr Bell come on it's not his fault he didn't know it's true he doesn't know he didn't yeah but Mr. Bell does know that Mr. T has eyes for Margaret and he asks him and Mr. Thornton denies it. He does say that he admired her. And then Mr. Bell kind of comes back and is like, well, that's a shame because if you had told me that you loved her, even though she rejected you, because let's be honest, she's going to reject you, then that would set you apart from all other men and kind of maybe then you'd be worthy of her. So yeah. Mr. Bell is saying that, the very actions that Thornton is doing are the things that set him apart and will make him worth worthy of her. But he's saying it without knowing that that's what's going on. Right. This book is just, it's genius. It's so Layers, good. layers. So many layers. Um, and then the conversation turns to the fact that uh, Mr. Thornton is building this big dining room where his workmen can go and eat. And I think he saw Higgins eating his like, little grizzled piece of meat. Mm-hmm. And he realised that actually one of the problems that the workers are having is that they can't afford to eat and their wages aren't going far enough with the increase in food prices. Whereas Mr. Thornton could arrange for food to be bought in bulk cooked in bulk and served in bulk in this big dining room um it isn't charity that's something that's very important to point out because that these are proud men they don't want to take charity and also mr thornton is running a business and so people will be hiring the ovens from him and they're it's like they're paying like subsidized food costs basically right right so this is Um, you know one of the ways that higgins is sort of like bringing him closer to his workers and yeah, but Thornton, and, yeah. Thornton suggested it to Higgins, and then Higgins was like, that's yeah. a terrible idea. And then Higgins goes off, has a chat with some other people, and goes back and is like, oh, I've had an idea, we should build a dining room. <laughs> yeah. So, like, both of these people think the ideas were theirs. Uh, right. Mr. Thornton <laughs> is a little concerned that he's going to get some grief from the other factory workers. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that is some foreshadowing. Yeah. I think I think some of the other factory workers are going to accuse him of being like soft, right? Or lose some of the respect because he holds like people really respect him and his and his opinion. But I, I actually think that that might start to change in the mm-hmm. next few chapters. Well, this this relationship could be easily seen as soft too. I mean, with him and Higgins, who's not you know super yeah. well liked, and he's taking care of Boucher's babies, who. You know, Boucher was no no friend. Boucher is a to guy these other factory that, workers. So yeah, exactly. Like just yeah, it it it's troublesome, and I think it's playing on Mr. Thornton's mind. Like, look at mm-hmm. the people that Mr. Thornton is hanging out with. Is Mr. Hale who left the church? Maggie who's like flinging her arms around men's necks and like going for late night walks. Just yeah, he's he, as, as far as society is concerned, he's got some questionable <laughs> friendship groups. He does. So the last chapter for this week, chapter 43, Margaret's Flitten. Margaret's Flitten. So Mrs. Shaw hates Milton. She hates it. It's dirty and it's noisy and it's tacky. And she just needs to get Margaret out of there as quick as she can. So the plan is that Dixon is going to stay in Milton for a little bit, shut up the shop. And then Mrs. Shaw and Mags are going to be escorted home by Captain Lennox to Edith 
who should have had her baby by then. Uh, she actually mm-hmm. goes on. She has a little boy. She oh does. no, she has had her boy. Cool Cosmo. When does she have? When she does has- she have her boy? I. Um, she had her baby in Corfu. Did she bring? She brought the baby, right? Oh my gosh, this is so right. So when I was reading this, I thought that she is she having another baby. I actually had. We'll have to. We'll have to read it. Like look at this. I had a little bit of confusion with this too because. Um, it's yeah. I it's, did realize that there's also confusion with like what um here I'm like looking it up because also this is one of the name confusions that like Gaskell like named ba- like yeah. its baby and her husband the same thing and then in certain versions like they change it or they've like you know Who's, they've pointed it, it out Sholto 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 is that a dog that's her husband. <laughs> And then in certain editions, she refers to Sholto as the husband and as the baby. And sometimes she refers to Sholto or she refers to the husband as Cosmo and the baby as Cosmo. So like someone like left us a comment earlier this week and they're like, I thought it was like flipped the other way around. And I'm like, well, in the TV show, like they just like named it Sholto, I think for both. But yeah, I think that Gaskell, Gaskell, there was a couple names in this book that she just doesn't pay attention to. But also just yeah. But just in terms does- of just in terms of the timeline, so she's had a baby. She's had a baby boy. She's called him Cosmo, right? She then says in her letter that the climate doesn't agree with her baby. But then the reason yes. the reason that Mrs. Shaw and Captain Lennox don't want to come up to Milton is because she's very close to her time. So if she's already had the baby, what is she close to doing a shit? Like I don't <laughs> like what like it's that didn't I did not pick up on that until we were talking about it. That's it's gonna... true. I it's very confusing. I actually I have that down as one of my notes of like find out when Edith had baby because I'm confused. If anyone's got some clarity on this, like please again, just... <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and reread it. I know I'm gonna have to go back and reread it too because oh I'm not. I I am unclear. I'm because so for the same reasons you are you are because I was like I was pretty sure she had the baby in Corfu, and then. Um, yeah, now it's like, wait, what is, what is the interesting time? Cause yeah, I, I distinctly remember Mr. Bell going like, or the, them having the conversation, like she's not going to want to leave at this in- interesting time. And I was like, interesting time. What does that mean? Yeah. So I just, I, I think reading that made me completely forget that she'd already had the baby. Like I wiped that bit out of my mind. So yeah. I, I wonder if maybe, oh, I just, maybe it's another baby. She could, I mean, it's been 18 months. Can you have a baby that quickly? Yeah, Never, let's, can. let's move on. So, Mr. Bell writes to Margaret saying, hey, babe, don't worry. I'm going to make you my charge. You haven't asked for it, but I'm going to make you my charge. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to take over your life. Yeah, I'm now looking after you and Dixon financially. Uh, you are going to pay the Shores and the Lennoxes £250 a year for you. And and Dixon, you're not paying them any more for Dixon. Make sure of it. Now, the reason of doing this is because if, you know, things are good now, but if the situation changes and you can't live there anymore, then you can just take that money and start paying it to someone else to live there. So Mm -hmm. you're not financially dependent on this family. Also, you can use your dad's money that you're going to get to, you know, like buy some chocolates and buy some pretty things. <laughs> but like the actual bulk of her living cost will be covered by Mr. Bell. And then eventually if he dies, 
she's going to get everything. And he says to her, you know, don't thank me. I don't want any thanks at all. Um, I was there for your father for 35 years. I loved him. And I was there when he married and I was there when he died. Like, this is just the natural way of things. So just say yes. And yeah, she says yes. Mm. Now, Aunt Shaw's kind of attitude against Milton starts to grate on Mags a little bit. And she's saying like, oh, this place is disgusting. And Mags is like, well, actually, sometimes it's very nice. Um, I was very happy here. And they have to go through everything in the house. There's going to be the sale to kind of get rid of stuff and cover some costs. And so Margaret has to go through the house and choose what she's going to keep. And some of the things she looks at are those little contraptions that her mum made to kind of make things look like they were going further that Mm -hmm. she talked about when they first got to Milton. But Margaret decides that what she would actually like to keep are her father's books. She puts one aside for Mr. Thornton with a note asking him to accept it for the sake of her father, but she doesn't give it to him herself. She has it sent to him. And then it's kind of, it's time to go. So she knows that she wants to visit the Higginses and the Thorntons. She's very worried about what her aunt is going to make of her friends. Yeah. And Mrs. Shaw is, she is definitely surprised that Mags feels like there's anybody that she would miss here. She's like, there's no, there's no one for you to say goodbye to. And Max is like, well, actually, you know, like, I've, I've got to go and pay my respects. It's the right thing to do. And there's a line that really stuck out to me. And it's, um, and her aunt permitted her to go where she had often been before without taking any precaution or requiring any permission. And it's this idea that the Lennoxes are swooping in and they're going to save her. But actually, this is a, this is a young woman who has a very, like generous level of um like a agency i guess like she can make her decision her own decision she can talk to who she wants to and she can like decide stuff for herself and her parents for the most part are like okay yeah like sure like we'll go along she's never had she's never once had to ask to go and hang out with 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 mr higgins like mrs hale probably wouldn't have been like come and sit my drawing room but right you know like they've encouraged it and i think that is that speaks volumes to um that the good qualities of the hales as opposed to the lennoxes who are london types they're very fashionable they're worried about what society thinks they're very elegant you know yeah absolutely yeah she's about to lose some freedom she's about to step back into the role of this like yes yeah poor relation even though she she won't be in actuality and she has also had a different life no, actually, mm-hmm. Mr. Bell's yeah. taking her under his wing. Like Mr. Bell is a very wealthy man. Maybe that's something we haven't made clear. Is like this is a guy with a lot of money. Like him turning around saying, "I'm going to leave you everything," is significant. When she gets to Higgins's place, Nick is not there. Um, the Boucher kids are there. Mary, Bessie's sister, is there, and Mag says to her that I would actually like to take a little something of Bessie's with me. And she chooses the cup that Bessie was drinking from when she was sick. And I was just like, (laughs) cool memory. Cool memory, Margaret. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) Wash that cup. I mean, yeah, please wash it. Like, (laughs) boil it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) what's interesting as well is that Mrs. Shaw, uh, Aunt Shaw, when they go to the Thorntons, actually goes in as well. So she doesn't deign to visit the Higginses but she does go into the Thornton's house and Mrs Thornton Mm -hmm. receives them and just straight away Mags is like listen 
I'm sorry for walking out on you and having a strop when you came over. And then Mrs. Thornton is like, well, you know what, actually, thank you. Like, I was just, I was just doing what I told your mum that I was going to do. Um, I'm like, I guess I'm sorry that you're upset, but I just felt like I had to do it. And then mm-hmm. Margaret says to her, you have to know that what you're accusing me of is not true. And I need to know that you believe me. And Mrs. Thornton looks at her face and she's like, okay, yeah, I do. I do believe you. Like, sure, that's fine. And oh, sure, it's just sat there like, what the fuck is going What's on? What's going on? <laughs> she just doesn't have a clue. She, she, can't, she can't focus. Like, she's <laughs> like, I have no point of reference for any of this. You've missed a lot, Aunt Shaw. You've missed a lot. Also, she thinks that Mrs. Thornton is Mr. Thornton's wife. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is great. She doesn't know that it's his mum. So then he arrives and um, yeah, they kind of mention that they're going the very next day and he turns away and he can't speak to her or look at her and he's heartbroken. Yeah. And it's horrible. It's it's a hard scene to read. They he's go down to the, the feelings. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's having a lot of feelings. And he, he's doing what he does, which is to just kind of hide himself off and kind of feel them like he hides behind a newspaper mm-hmm. he hides in his rooms he hides in his factory he pretends he's reading a letter so they go onto the outside steps and both margaret and mr thornton are just reminded of that day that she threw herself between him and the rioters and they are stood very close together and i thought my heart was gonna burst when i was reading it <laughs> and he will not speak to her about his feelings he no said, way no, I have put it to the touch once and I lost it all. Let her go. Yeah. Yeah, he, he says other stuff, but <laughs> ooh, that's the line. He, it's a great line. He has no clue that her feelings have changed for him. It's true. Like he doesn't That's why it's so good. Him. Yeah, exactly. And the scene is entirely from his point of view. So for his point reason, of view is the best. <laughs> his point of view is the best, but for a book where the joy is like seeing both sides of the argument, where you don't see it is so pointed. Yeah, like that was that was such a decision to not show us Max's point of view mm-hmm. at, in this moment, like because he doesn't know, and it just intensifies it. If we'd had a line, yeah, immediately afterwards saying, and Max looked at him, she wanted to tell him, it's like, you, you know, this it's so finely tuned it's so good well yeah it doesn't need to be said it's our we already know like, yeah so she is you know gaskell is trusting our audience and um yeah that's like the, the sign of a strong writer like absolutely she's Trust not throwing everything at us she's actually trusting like that we already know and she's giving us all of his feelings which are always so well written yeah and it like just it, it, it has enough to carry the emotional weight of the scene absolutely so they go back home um and little old higgins comes by the house to say goodbye and he says that he did actually come by before but no one would let him in he did not have a mr (sighs) bell to kind of vouch for him when he came by um and then he saw mr thornton earlier and mr thornton was like you ain't gonna see her she's going tomorrow she hasn't got time for the likes of us anymore she is out of here friend lickety split (laughs) yeah and he's like he is hurting. He is so upset about it. Uh, and then Mr. Higgins is just basically saying to Thornton, like, yeah, okay, cool. You're right. I won't see her. Fine. 
And he's like, but if I don't see her before she leaves, you know, I'm just going to go to London and say goodbye there. Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. And it says it were only it were only for to humor the master. I let on as if I thought you'd happen to leave Milton without seeing me. Like he's so confident in the idea that. Yeah, like he and Margaret are inter- like intellectual equals. Like he might not. Yeah. He's he's got a funny accent and a you know he works in a in a factory, but like these are two people with a very equal uh, mutual respect for each other. And right. I love that they are both just like she's like I've got to go and see him. I know my aunt won't like it, but I've got to go. And he doesn't even question mm-hmm. that she would. And he's like, right. and if she can't, like it can't that it can't finish like that. Like I'd have to go and pay my right. respects. And that gave me uh, the warm fuzzies. Like, I, I think I love Margaret and Higgins' relationship as much as I love Margaret and Thornton's relationship. <laughs> I just love him so much. He's my new Mr. Gardener. Um, oh. oh. <laughs> so Margaret has a gift for him. Um, oh, it's so sad. She gives him her father's Bible and she says to him that it's very hard for her to part with it but that hopefully he can, you know, study it and find some comfort in it. And he, he, sh- he should have it. Yeah. Like he, he has stuff that he needs to get through. And she also, it doesn't, again, this is something that's addressed in the dialogue, but you don't get any action. It's like reported. And I love, like, it's such a good narrative technique. He's just like, oh, I see your money. Don't give me any money. Like, <laughs> we, we've we been fine being friends without you giving me coins before. Like, Yeah, that's not what know, I want Don't make you. it about that now. And she's like, I'm not giving you this money, Nick. Like, chill down. This is, yeah. you know, this is for those sweet Clemen children. So, listener comments. You guys were great. Um, I'm glad that we had a few new names in the mix this week, it felt like. It's never um, too late to jump in. It's never too late to jump in. Just give us all your thoughts. I love them. Um, first up, I've got uh, Sarah Zettel in here. And she said, I'm amazed at what a fixer Mags continually is. She clearly feels that this is her role in life. It's certainly her role in the family. Nobody else can or will take care of anything. It all falls on her. Love the layers of Mrs. T's attitude towards everything. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that is what Mags thinks she's there for. It's almost like she has an older child attitude. Yeah, I re- I can yeah, I can relate to the, that. Yeah, like she just got, has to pick everything up, all the pieces up. Also, when so, someone um, complains to you and they're like, "Oh, this hasn't happened," and you're like, "Sorry, I don't know how to fix it," and they're like, "I wasn't asking you to fix it." And yeah. Well, you told me about a pro- a problem. <laughs> yes, I am. I am totally. I have that to. Person. Fix it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, what am I supposed to do? Am I just supposed to like agree with you? Am I supposed to come up with a solution? What am I supposed How to do? I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rita Mar- Maria Martinez said that I felt like I was being uncaring. Mister H lost a wife and Fred a mom, but these men are kind of useless during a tra- tragedy. I mean, yeah, again, that ties right into what Sarah was saying. Like, I- Mags has to be the fixer. Like, she's the yeah. one that's sort of she's lying to the murder police. She's you know, kind of taking on all of that anxiety and that depression as well. And while she's just fixing everything, you know, arranging the funeral and yeah. Like, it's why it actually is very satisfying when Aunt Shaw comes and 
Mags has a cry. That must mean that she does like feel some trust in Aunt Shaw, you know, like yeah, absolutely. Because it's partly it's partly like seeing that family resemblance, and it talks about like those traits that all members of a family will share, but also just a return to a group of people and a lifestyle that's very different to her lifestyle since she left Harley Street. Yeah, like it's very different, um, and it's like that relief where, yeah, in Harley Street she is running up and getting the Indian shawls and stuff but that is not the same as uh tending to your dying mother uh lying to your dad about how serious it is while also not telling them that the police are investigating your brother's presence in the country yeah you might be hung like they're very different concerns and so it's like oh it's it's over the trial is over my aunt sure is here um it's a return to childhood is yeah, what it, is. it is. Well, you know, we talked about her loss of sort of freedom as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, so, the ability to make a decision. She went from being a child to being an adult. And it's almost like if she goes back with the Lennoxes and her aren't sure, it's, yeah, it's that. I'm kind of like dreading this return say. to Harley Street, honestly. Um, Kimberly Tree Song Lore commented, breathe out so I can breathe you in from via like Foo Fighters. Um, he had a restless desire to renew her picture in his mind, a longing for the very atmosphere she breathed. And that's Gaskell. So, um, you know, just another example of some of Thornton's like yeah. dialogue. It's just, whew. I know it's, it's all good. <laughs> all of it, all the things he says, I can't get enough actually. Usually like I, I can't sort of deal with a lot of angst. Uh, I'm so here for, yeah, because it's like when I read Jane Eyre and I was just like, Rochester, I do not want to hear about your life. <laughs> yeah, sometimes like with Rochester, like I love Jane Eyre, but I love all the bits like of Jane, <laughs> like yeah. Rochester. I'm just like, ugh, shut up. Yeah. But um, no, everything that Thornton says, I'm just like, yeah, whoa, wow. This man and his feelings. I'm into it. Um, Teresa Holiday said, is anyone else jonesing for Higgins to find love? Yeah, he's going to get with the neighbor. Oh, sorry. I just read the rest of it. (laughs) (laughs) She was saying that that may be influenced by her love of Brendan Coyle as Bates. So I know you're not a fan of Brendan Coyle. I've seen Brendan Coyle on stage actually a couple of times. He was pretty good. Yeah, he's probably fine, but whatever. (laughs) He's always going on about the rights of the workers, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're not I, a fan. <laughs> I'm a fanny. I'm a fanny to his Higgins. Well, she does say, I want him to hook up with the helpful neighbor who helped Mrs. Boucher when her husband died. Just saying. So, yeah, what's the reason? Spoiler. I think it's spoiler. I think it's coming your way. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember, um, but like the minute it's just like that good woman and they're like raising kids together. Yeah, they are. Yours, mine, ours. Hopefully, those two crazy kids will make it work. It's like a, it's like a little sitcom. It is a little sitcom. It's like a Victorian era sitcom. That's the web series I want to write. Boucher's babies. Boucher's bebs. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah also said, um, "It occurs to me what's really wounded here is Margaret's pride," and she was referring to chapter thirty-nine. And how she doesn't want to relate to the world now that it's been punctured. It's really, uh, it really was her armor against everything. 
So, yeah, I think Maggie does have this, like, just armor of pride around her at all times. Yeah. A la Darcy. Yeah, well, she doesn't want to let anyone in. She doesn't want to let anyone in. But she doesn't know that she's doing it. I don't think it's necessarily intentional. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, yeah. It's just, it's sort of just, it's just immaturity. Yeah. Uh, I know. Um, Catherine McGuire said, there was some good foreshadowing, but not soon enough. I was surprised by Mr. Hale's death just when I was starting to like him. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Wham, bam. It really wasn't soon enough. It was just like foreshadow. Boom. (laughs) I know. It could, like, it could have happened in Milton. I didn't mind it, though. I thought it was quite funny. (laughs) (laughs) His death? And then just like... Oh, if he'd known, he would have seen an angel of death above him. Yep, yeah. he's dead. Now he's gone. <laughs> Man. Uh, like, I mean, imagine you know, if the chapter... I guess it, it had to be sudden, though, because I feel like we've had a lot. We've had a lot yeah. of deaths that were drawn out, you know, Bessie and Mrs. Also, Hale. And so, like, this just did kind of come at us. It happens immediately after Mr. Bell says, don't worry about Margaret, I'm going to make her my heir. Yeah. He doesn't have to worry anymore. And we were talking before about people holding on. And he, like, could, could he have left her alone in the world? I know he has, like, physically left her alone in the world. But mm-hmm. his closest friend of 35 years, who has a lot of money, has just said that he is going to leave everything. He's going to take it. care of it. And it's, yeah. like, almost like that weight is lifted. And his little yeah. soul just float it out. Just split it out. Happy as can be. Yeah. So over on the Twitters, uh, Jen said, um, oh, this was a really good catch. So bad lads, a little bad lad tweet. It would Mm -hmm. appear to be literary commonplace to to be a literary commonplace to name villainous and otherwise shady characters, George. So Leonard's in North and South is George Leonard's. Wickham in Pride and Prejudice is George Wickham and then George Wellegan in Poldark. Which is great if anyone has not read it. George is. Do you think Prince George is evil too? I mean, I know I'm taking it out of the literary world and into the real world, but. Absolutely. Have you seen I bet he's evil. Yes, exactly. You know that the royal babies have, like, there's very strict dress code. I do. That the babies wear. I read it in Us Weekly. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Andrea is coming at us with some Bronte links. So she said, uh, love the discussion of Milton and Bellingham being borrowed names in Gaskell's novels. Haven't read it yet, but apparently in Charlotte Bronte, Shirley, the main character is Caroline Helston. Exactly. And then Jen went on uh, to reply saying, regarding Gaskell's use of borrowed names, perhaps Mr. Bell is so named as a nod to the pseudonym under which the Brontes published their novels i feel Ooh. like that's such a mic drop moment <laughs> it really like, is i read that and i was just like oh shit <laughs> so next week we are recording our last north and south episode really bring it with the comments um i think we're gonna have to record this episode on monday or tuesday because on wednesday i am flying to london yeah and you, you're oh not allowed God. to podcast on the plane. It's true. You're not. I've been told. So, um, so yeah, I can't believe it's like almost over. So <laughs> this make month sure. month flew by. I know. It's like, <laughs> whew, 
I'm so excited to finish this book. I mean, I not, know, me too. I just, I just want to see how everything resolves. And it's it has really surprised me how gripped I've been reading it despite having watched the adaptation. And I actually think that opens like up a whole new world of opportunities. Like I could do yeah. fantasy fair, like just because I've seen the film doesn't, you know, it's great. Maybe I'll read The War and Peace. Who knows? Probably not. Probably uh, not. It's not very good. I mean, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I didn't like it, guys. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can, of course, find us on Twitter and Instagram at bonnets at mm-hmm. dawn. You can find us at the hashtag NSBonnets on both of these. You can join the conversation in our Facebook group. It's a closed group. So just search Bonnets at Dawn and then um, we'll accept you into the group, into the fold. And yeah, there's a message thread on there. And if you really want to, you can send us an email, bonnetsatdawn at gmail.com. That's all true. And um, next week, I actually will be appearing on another podcast called uh, Lay Back and Think of England which I do all the time. But that's that's a lot of very personal information. (laughs) It is. But no one's surprised. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we're going to be uh, talking about persuasion. My favorite um, book. Your favorite book. So I will be on there next week discussing chapters one through six uh, with the the host, Sarah. And then Hannah is going to go on the podcast later and you're going to discuss the last six chapters and sort of the book overall. The steamy bit. Lauren's the steamy like, bit. Which bit do you want to talk about? And I was like, the end. Where the <laughs> speech happens in the TV show, basically. <laughs> and then uh, we might both be on later on next month to discuss um, the adaptations. Uh, of course, this will not be the only persuasion discussion that we have. We will be discussing persuasion on this show um which we're going to tape when we are together in manchester in a couple weeks so 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 yeah there's like a lot of persuasion talk is about to just come at you it's the best book ever so you guys get ready ready. get ready i have lots to say on it um so yeah i will be sure to post links and everything on our uh, facebook and twitter all right guys Thank you so much. This episode is super long. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) You turned into a robot.